So the word Charles has been sharing out of Romans, and I don't think he's done yet. It's, it's just been wonderful. And in this, uh, you know, I just want to take a moment and challenge your faith as we come into this day this morning. Um, I know I'm preaching to the choir, and what I'm going to hear here out of uh, Ephesians 4 is something that you're very familiar with, but, but we come together to stir our faith. We come together to reset our course and set it on true north all the time. And there's reasons for that. So let's just read it. It says, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which is which you are called. Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Paul is beckoning to the, to the body of Christ in Ephesus. It is powerful. He knows that they need a push or a wake up. In this, he's saying, guys, live the life that you've been called to. And that's what has happened to you is deeply valuable. The transition in your life, the saving of your soul, the letting go of yourself and reaching out to God who loves you and following him, it is worth riches of beyond men's riches. It's worth it. And in it, you have learned, you're going to learn to walk. You're going to learn to exact that truth into your life, appropriate it, and then give it out to others. This is no joke. This is no fantasy story. This is reality. And somewhere, somehow, in your life, this has happened or you wouldn't be sitting here this morning. And God's love walked into your life. I don't know how, when. It could have been through tragedy. It could have been success. It could have been on a mundane walk. It could have been a searching in your heart. But God engaged your heart, saved your soul, reached in, and you felt his love, and you responded to him, letting go of your life and holding on to his. Come on. And you know, that's such a great truth, and it happened at one point. But also, we build our lives on that, but there are parts of our life that we let go, we step back from, become complacent, or I wouldn't have people in my office needing marriage counseling. It started out great. It was amazing. We love each other. How come we don't feel anything right now? How come I'm not attracted? I don't want to do this. I don't feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not talking to you, just talking to somebody else. That's right. Or my faith, how come I don't feel God and I can't tell, he's not talking to me. How come it just feels like, ah, uh, whatever. But I go through the motions, it's good, it's good, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm not okay. <laughs> come on. Or parts of you are alive and parts of you, let's not talk about it. Because oh. there are parts of God that are working, there are parts that aren't working. So I'm sharing with this because you need a vital faith. Here's the question to you. Does the faith you're living, does it... Does it, does it, is it worth someone else risking their life for? The relationship you have with God, it's nice, but if someone watches it, is, is it worth them risking their life for? Come on. It's important. Everywhere in Scripture it says this about walking worthy of the call. It says it in um, 1 Thessalonians 2.12. It says it in 2 Thessalonians 1.1. It says in Colossians 1.10. Wow, is there a theme somewhere here? Are we worried about something? Yeah, there's a stirring up of our faith because we can become lazy. We can become complacent. We can just let it go. We can go through the motions. Why, John, are you stepping on my toes? Why is this important? Because there's a harvest in front of us that is stunning and it's hilarious and fun, and it'll take everything we have. It'll take struggle, frustration, to learn how to love, to learn how to reach out to people, to really enjoy it, not be held by our own prejudices. And if we don't do this, if we don't have a vital relationship, then what we have, what even though we say the right words, they will want in part, it won't draw a soul to it. It'll be true, but it'll be factual, but it won't be truth that enters their lives. Come on. Come on. 
It says in 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, you are a royal, uh, you are a, a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. These aren't just phrases that are religious. These are realities that we live in. In other words, a man given to righteousness and holiness, denying the right things and accepting the right things, there's a peace or a truth that comes on his life that he walks in. It could be demonstratively in his way, his personality, or quietly. But either way, men are drawn to that truth inside of him. In the struggle that he has, in the choices that he has, in the peace that he finds in making the right choices, men feel that when you walk into the room or when in conversation, and they're drawn to that truth. As we do it together, then there's a certain power that comes in all of us pulling together. Even though we're doing it individually, you're fighting our own fight of faith. When we see one another, we're encouraged. When we greet one another, you walk in the door, you feel the presence of God. There's something that happens and magnifies God's presence and truth among us. It happens in small prayer groups. It happens in having a beer at a bar with a friend, and you're just not, not trying to be weird, but or, or just having a drink or a cup of coffee or something, meeting for coffee. It happens in, in, in home groups. All this, when we're doing it, really happens. Men are drawn to it. It calls to their heart, and it's what builds their lives. It says in 1 Timothy 3.15, not kiddingly, it says in the house of the living God, or, which is the, the pillar and ground of truth. What are we talking about, rules and religious rules and how to be a doobie and don't be? No. We're all allergic to that. You can feel it like, ugh, ugh. You know, but when you step into someone who's living it and spending their life, each of us, husband or wife or son or daughter or friend or foe, or even the people you don't totally get along with, but you see them living a life, it draws you to that part of God that's so true. And that's what makes it the pillar and ground of truth. When I was walking around here the other day, just praying, I was thinking, you know, I love this room, love what God's done in this facility. I mean, I love this facility, love this place, and God does dwell here. But, it, but if I was going to say, what is the church? It wouldn't be the building, even though it's cool and the lights and it's cool and all that stuff. It would be what the foundations that draw, when people step in here, what are in the walls, what are in the floors, the spiritual walls, the spiritual floors. Is it the passion for God that, God, whether I'm high or low, I'm still coming after you? That pursuit or passion and people feel when they step in? Is it the humility like, God, we've learned in this house, in this community, it's not me that's first, let them go first. You'll make room for me. You won't forgive me, but you first. Not tolerate, celebrate. Making room for, I'm getting out of the way. You've got to make room for these people. And it's a feeling that, look, you're interested. I'm going to meet you. I'm making room. It's all that. Those are the foundational walls and the things that build the roof over this house that people, when you stepped in here this morning, that's what you felt. <laughs> that's what you felt. That's like, God, I just feel. It's the struggle working together that, oh, you can have an opinion, I have another opinion, but we can still walk together. And it creates that feeling like when someone comes in, they don't have to be this way or that way, but they can be themselves and be accepted and be imperfect and be in process because we're living with each other, imperfect and in process and enjoying it. That's what makes the church, God, the whole world will come to the doorstep. We learn to do this right. Then they'll get healed. Then they'll get saved. Then they'll get this. But how we love, they'll know you're Christians by the way you love each other. And that costs you something, people. It does. It costs us something. So I would be lying to tell you that this comes at an easy price. It just doesn't. Come to Jesus and fix your whole life. No, he'll fix you, but you'll be on the reconstruction crew yourself. And you'll be doing things you just don't want to do. You know what I mean? You'd be digging up the yard and replacing a roof, and oh, my Jesus. 
I thought it was good. Isn't that? But it's so amazing. Wow. It's so much more than chairs and lights and building. Gosh. This kingdom we're living for. And Jesus begins to explain this to disciples. But I want to back up and show it to you. There's a couple transitions in our faith that are really worth looking at. If you go to Exodus chapter 32, you'll see this. Well, beginning first part that I want to share with you. You know this story, and I'll just start, jump right in. It's a story of, you know, in this moment, the Jewish people have been delivered from the Egypt. How many know this story, right? Been under enslavement for 400 years, and they've passed through the Red Sea, passed through the Red Sea. Fish are swimming, they're walking, it's dry. Really, it's crazy. My imagination goes crazy on stuff like this. Crazy. Like, and they lived through this. And they got in the desert. And of course, Moses is going up the mountain. He's on a second trip, I think. And he's kind of disappeared for days on end. And they're kind of like, what do we do? You know what I mean? And so, of course, what they do is they have a golden calf. And they start to worship the golden calf. Like, of course. Like, now, you people sitting out there going like, I can't believe they did that. We'll see. Okay? <laughs> we'll see if you're not doing it. <laughs> okay? So... But in this, we know the story. And so, and, and here's God talking to Moses, which is kind of a hilarious story when you're stepping back. If you're in the moment, he's pretty upset. So the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, who Moses did, like Moses did it. Not a chance, you know what I mean? He did it. Have corrupted themselves. He's upset. Do you know what I mean? In other words, and there's a lot of teaching on the golden calf thing that they're making it like a sub-God in order to, to kind of get their lives together so they can worship God. But the truth is they're taking things into their own hand. It has been a long time. They had emptied their lives out there, wandering in the desert and know what to do. The leadership is gone. And so they start to take things into their own hand. Did you ever wait for God to do something? And then he hasn't done it. He hasn't done it. He totally persuaded your heart. He totally got you involved. He's such a Jewish guy. Get you all locked in. And then it's too long a time till it happens, right? No, really too long a time for something you really, really cared about. No, you never just kind of took things in your own hand or just stepped aside from it or just kind of said, well, I guess it could be that or it could be that. Isn't it weird that in that expanse of time, isn't it crazy that, uh, here's something to say, Ephesians, Colossians, Celestians, all, all of this uh, walking worthy of the call is in the context of long-suffering, patience, and finding joy in it. Oh, yeah, that just went down really well. Okay, so <laughs> long-suffering. Long-suffering, like biblical long-suffering, like aches my soul, this is not happening. Why did you persuade my heart that you told me you were going to do this, and now you're not doing it? And really, it's bugging me. It's costing my, my marriage time. It's costing the way I think at work. I'm worried about that child. You said he would be a great person, and he's turning left, or you said this, or you said that, and that's not happening. Isn't that crazy how it happens? And in that, in that's where we find our vital faith. In that, we have to walk worthy of the call. So you keep it in front of you. It's a crazy story. Did you guys just, it's kind of like a long shot. Did everybody just see the, what was it called? The, the big horse race, the, you know, the Kentucky Derby. What's the guy's name that won the Marcus Horse Race? Rich Strike, didn't he win it? 80 to one at the door, 80 to one. Seven and a half hours of discussion about the whole race. Rich Strike wasn't even brought up once. He was entered in 30 seconds or 30 minutes before the day before to get into the race. His own jockey was suspended five times in the last year for doing things out of order or wrong. 
Isn't that great? He won. I was so captured by this, because it's one of the things you just like to see along. I looked at the word long shot in the Bible, under the message, because it's a weird, this kind of word term, you know? It was right in the heart of, did you see a reed out in the wilderness? It was really John the Baptist, is what he's talking about. I'm paraphrasing, John Leach paraphrasing. But he said, was he a long shot? Actually, the word said, Eugene Peterson said, was he a long shot? Not, in a, not, not a chance. What are you saying, John? What the world thing was a long shot, God said it was never a long shot. John, John the Baptist's life is a long shot. A voice crying in the wilderness, and yet it brought men's hearts to repentance. There's been no other greater prophet, I know I'm taking a little left turn, than the John the Baptist, but because the words he speaks in preparation for God in a difficult time that he hasn't answered in 400 years, oh yeah, when Christ has come, right? That people have been longing and staying in long suffering for, the remnant is holding on to. He's speaking those words. That's the very word. And God calls long shots or long waiting, not long shots. All he's looking for is someone to believe him beyond the circumstances forever and never lose it in their hearts. How many of you have got something in your heart that God gave to you and you've given up on or you're not finished with yet and you're getting tired of holding it? You might have to reach back and think of it because it could be that, that door could have been closed a long time ago. I got some things out before God. Man, I picked them up, put them down, picked them up, put them down. I am not letting go. Got to revitalize our faith. I'm t- sitting here, John. I'm paying attention. Well, you may be attending, but I'm talking about a living a life that other people see that would say, I'm going to be like that. I'm going to risk my life on that. Am I asking you something too hard? No, I'm asking you something in the kingdom of God. It's commonplace. We are living for real with God. Pick where you want to work. Pick the things you want to do, but live with him real in that world. And people, God will bring people to your door. He'll bring opportunities and conversations that you'll be able to share. And when you do, it goes right into their heart because you're living a vital life. And most of the time, not on purpose. You don't have this big, brilliant word. You just say something that goes right into their heart. Why? Because it happened to me when my whole family, my sister's getting saved, my friends, my brother, they would, I remember seeing my brother-in-law, he just said things, he just went into my heart just in a casual conversation because he was living a vital life with God. What happened to the Jewish people? These are people that were birthed by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are a pioneering group, Abraham leaving everything behind to go into a, a journey with God and gaining everything in it. What were the elements of it? Personal sacrifice, personal responsibility, struggle, trust, moving from place to place. But in it, he had freedom and he had life. He was vital. That group of people was vital, had a vital life wherever they went. They had a vital faith wherever they went. Everywhere, Abraham and all of them making, making um, what do you call it, uh, altars where they were to, to signify places of transformation in their hearts. The wealth in their heart, the wealth in their lives grew and grew. Even kings came to meet with them outside of their cities. But more than that, the expanse of the heart, the wealth of their lives, of a free life, able to pioneer and go with God, find him, find things in their lives that they need to let go of and bring God into. They were growing leaps and bounds during those years. All those years, what a great life they had. Was it hard? Yes. Was it struggle? Yes. But in the struggle, God met them. How about you? In the struggle, is God meeting you? Are you willing to offer up your struggle and say, God, 
I am working through this. Rather than trying to deny it, step in front with it with God. Whether you're delivered or you're not, God is in it with you. I can just say that. Can't we just say that? Of course we believe he's going to deliver. Of course he believes he's going to do his word. But even if you don't, even if we do get burned up in the fire furnace, we're not serving those gods. Right? What happened the day in and day out as God in Goshen and, got to, and helped out Egypt and, and Joseph was there? Did every day, did the rules get a little bit more? Did the routine get a little bit more? Egypt was the center of the world system at that time. If there is a plan, organization, system, they had it. The government was brilliant. Their, the way they worked was brilliant. They had systems upon systems. And religion, they had gods upon gods upon gods, and everything was built to please the gods. Everything. The daytime, the high and rise of the Nile, back and forth, was all set. Everything was set. It was the center of commerce, the center of the world, the center of work, the center of man. And in that, that system, it must have just kept taking over the, the, the Jewish people's lives until they were enslaved by it. All of a sudden, this great faith that had freedom and pushed through and made breakthroughs now, now traded for security, traded for management, traded for routine. Of course, God's in our routines, but he draws us out of the comfort of ourselves in our hearts and lives and sometimes even our physicality and challenges us so that our faith comes alive. But when we surrender it, when we take the lesser road, when we take the comfort road, and then you're going to have to hear this each individually, but it it's, can snuff out the vitality of a struggling, healthy, struggling faith. Of all people, we have to be able to embrace suffering. We have to be able to embrace the struggle and know that God's in it. We're doing that for the world to show them that there's a God that's bigger than our circumstances and he can roll through our hearts and help us first in here overcome, then outwardly overcome. How am I doing? So just like this, the Egyptian world system was so routine, so packed out, so, and so busy and so purposeless. Building, putting bricks together for tombs of people that don't even know who are dead. It's like a dead, alive system. Isn't that weird? It's like the anthill of the world. Seriously, I wish I had a better word for that, but here they are, busy, 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 busy. For what? When man's in charge, there's an enslavement. When God's in charge, there's vitality in life and real freedom. He lets you make your own decisions. He works with you. He doesn't chess play you. I know we say these things that he's ahead of us, but he really honors our personal choices. And we have true freedom. And when you choose him and choose his way and you get the win, it's worth all the struggle to that point. Because behind is a testimony, understanding, a revealing of you, of those around you, of your prejudices and letting them go and your love reaching into somebody else. It's a beautiful unfolding of salvation, which is so much more, more, more than the word just getting saved. It's a salvation of people around you, of you. It's entering into the kingdom, the rule of God in our hearts, the rule of love in our hearts that both constrains and compels us at different times. And the only way to do this is live honestly before him and walk with him. And that's what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had done, even to Joseph. But somewhere, the system of men's world kept choking, 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 and held them down. And here they find themselves. And actually, what have happens here is they step away from the, the gods that have been impressed on them, finally through the Red Sea, open to air, breathing themselves and free. And now they're choosing, what are they doing? They're choosing their own gods. Well, we'll choose our own gods now. 
Now that I'm free, I can choose my own gods. Freedom is really a real thing with God. Once you're free, just like his gifts and callings, so without revocation, he doesn't pull them back. You're free to make a decision because he honors your, your ability to walk away from him as well as he, he celebrates your, your ability to walk toward him. It's real faith, real freedom. Wow. So they choose their own gods. We'll choose the ones that will please us. We'll a, choose a golden calf. What, how below your pay grade could you have done? I'm going to create something that I'm going to worship that I created. So bizarre. But we do. We choose a system or a habit or something that, that makes me comfortable. I'm staying with that. I'm not going beyond that. We choose a people or a group of people that, okay, I'm good with this. I don't want to go venture beyond that. I'm not, yes, I am. I'm trying to mess you up a little bit, all right? But look, guys, if we don't learn to break the bonds, how are we going to embrace the world? What if sister so-and-so is so bizarre, broken, walks into our church, and all of our prejudices meet her before our love meets her? Is there time to to tell the truth and, and, and read and disciple her, of course, but by God's gifting in hand. Jesus didn't, he spent time with people and loved them, but he also brought a challenge to their faith and to their life. He did both equally and as powerfully. How are we gonna learn to do this? I don't know, but we gotta start right here, right now with each other. In our marriages, in our families, in our relatives, in our re outreaches, in our enemies. We learn to do this. We're going to learn to bring the power of God's love into people's lives. And they're going to be changed. And we're going to enjoy being a part of it. We're so busy pulling into our systems. And God breaks out beyond our systems. Come on. Are you thinking that way? What system has held you back from completing what God has told you to do or promised he would do? Or as you know you're called to do and you've put a lid on it in your own life. Um, if you are pulling back in that area, then you're, you are submitting or surrendering your vitality because the challenge has to happen. It says here that in verse 25, it's just this one scripture, it bugs me, I'll just give it to you. Unrestrained, Moses saw that people are unrestrained for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame. Oof, unrestrained to their shame. What do you mean, John? I'm meaning if you're not choosing disciplines in a practice, a personal practice that is challenging you, then you're going to remain unrestrained. Comfortableness can, be, can make you unrestrained. Do you understand? Now, I'm not looking for you to go out and pick a fight. I'm just looking for you to attend what God has asked you to do. Or we have nights where we can sit on the back porch and enjoy it and have a lemonade? Absolutely. But I'm talking about the trajectory or the course of your life. Are you pursuing God and are you challenged? And are you allowing yourself to be challenged in that? The way you speak, the way you think, the, the understanding of who God is. In all this, are you letting him pull the pages or the, the outer layers back and get into your life? And if you are, then you're living vitally. Then you are restrained. You are constrained by God's love. And then you are, then, then you're not to your shame, but you'll be to his glory. Amen? All right, one more place. We're going to go real quick. Good. Okay. Acts 2. All the way to Acts. From Exodus to Acts today. 
You can, bra- you can brag on this today. What, what did you preach on? Oh, so much stuff. It was so good. Not one amen. That's great. Thank you so much. You prepare your work at this stuff and nothing. <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding. All right. The second big transition, or for me, the second big transition I want to look at is, of course, the day of Pentecost. Had fully come there all in one accord in one place. We're going to spend the rest of our life understanding what one accord is. You know what I mean? Because it's just so fun to think about it. Okay. Suddenly there's a rushing and mighty wind. I'm moving ahead here. Tongues of fire, verse 3. And verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit, man. And began to speak in other tongues that God gave them utterance. This is not just a little story about tongues. This is such a bigger story, okay? And here's the context. They were dwelling in Jerusalem. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Part B6. Everyone heard them speak in their own language. John, what is this? But you're seeing, you're seeing an outward sign of a total inside transformation in these guys' lives. Now, they, I talked about in the first part the practices and disciplines that we, that we have in the Jewish faith that have to give them, have them to keep you restrained or constrained in a good way to help you feel freedom and get to God to get less of yourself and more of him. But this is where these guys had known who Jesus was, right? Remember Easter just in April? Then the 40 days where Jesus is with them, then the 10 days of upper room, and then the birth of the church, all right? I know we read this like a fantasy story, but it's so much more than that. Look, they knew Jesus was the Messiah, right? They knew he was the deal. Then he's killed or dies, then he resurrects, and then he spends 40 days with them. Not like this little weird Disney game when he a poof appears and disappears. He spent time with these guys over 40 days. Is that all right? Am I messing you up? How am I doing, Dan? How's it going? Okay, all right. So, so it wasn't like a little poof, hi, nice to see you, poof out. That's so bizarre. Stop thinking that way. I mean, he showed up and he said, okay, guys, new plan, all right? Or actually, old plan, new understanding for you. Then he breathed on them. They received the Holy Spirit at one point. Okay, my paraphrasing. And then he appears in the room, so he's trying to get their attention. Like, look, there's nothing that can withhold you, of course, Death can even withhold you. Okay, let's get that out of the way. Now we know we're going to give our lives. Now let's re-understand who the Messiah is, okay? The Messiah, these guys, I love that in this, in this template, these men, these Galileans, it says actually in verse 7, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? So there's a transformation that happens on the inside. Now you're seeing it on the outside. What happened on those 40 days? They were going through the scriptures like, What? You're the Messiah. You're the guy. But you're not like anything we should have, we've ever seen before. I want to see you back in all the scriptures. They were tearing through these over the 40 days, asking Jesus questions, getting answers. The template of that is the road to Emmaus when he explains to them how Jesus had to suffer all these things. He's showing them Jesus every portion of the Bible. Do you understand that? Of the scriptures. And their minds are, poof, coming to light. Because before, the kingship or priesthood was always oppressive. And to men's advantage, when men rule, you're enslaved. And now he's totally conversely differently than that. And something happened to these guys, these fishermen, these tax collectors, these dredging jobs, man things that they did, that they're called up out of in God's brilliant providence, seeing who they were, young men in their 20s, and knowing their hearts and souls and speaking to them. They're drawn up. They see who he is. And like, even then, right before he ascends, they say, are you going to start your kingdom? He's like, oh, at least you're talking about the kingdom. But it's not about the Jewish people. It's about all people. How am I doing? You tracking with me? 
their minds, now they're not fishermen, now they're not Jewish, now they're not Roman, now they're not Greek, now they're not man or woman. They see God for who he is. And somewhere in that upper room when they're praying together, their hearts expand 10 times like the Grinch. You know what I mean? It's the only way I can talk to you that you understand. Like, it's like, like their hearts explode with the call of God and the power to reach any nation. The last words he speaks to him in, verse tw- in chapter 1, go back to chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power from the, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses. Now he's speaking to where their calling is, to, to Judea, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. So maybe the next 10 days you just keep thinking, like what? We're talking about the kingdom. To the ends of the earth, the Holy Spirit. To the ends of the earth, boom, 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 going into their hearts. How am I doing? And so he's shedding every prejudice. He's shedding every boundary. He's shedding every background that he had. And he's realizing this is God and men reconcile himself to them, not holding their trespasses against them. And you're my agents to get into that and see men everywhere to the ends of the earth. And so somewhere in that night of that upper room experience that morning, maybe they got there. They finally got their hearts together. Maybe that's what one accord meant. But the transformation was on the inside, their perspective on who God is and their perspective on who they are in God. And they see that then it doesn't matter, Jew or Greek, Male or female, we're going to break all the bonds. And so it enables Thomas to go to India and this guy to go here and this woman to go there. And it just enables them to go with real love, real compassion, real excitement, not holding people in their, their stupid ways and their gods against them in the way they are, but cutting right through with compassion, seeing the potential, seeing who they are, seeing themselves in them and reaching in and saying, what happened to me has to happen to you. I can't wait to tell you if I can just hold you still and the Holy Spirit's leading me, of course, and I'll watch you transform right in front of me. And then you get to get what I have. And if it takes me giving my life to do it, I will. I will. But the hard part is little parts of your life every day. Man, can we do this? We'll have the best time of our lives. It'll cost us everything. It'll wear you out down to your knuckles, but God, it'll be so good. Where do we start right here? Where we end up, I have no idea. This day and age, the, how information and people can travel, who knows where we could be one day to the next. But I want to do it here. Man, these guys change the inside. Their perspective changed, their personal perspective. God's challenge is to change your personal practices, but with it, he'll change your personal perspective so that you'll see your boss differently, your enemy differently, your relative differently. We'll take some work. Yeah. Yes. It'll take you, not, it'll take you hating yourself. To, like, I'm not going to think this way. Bring every thought into captivity. It's not some control freak, rule-keeping God. The Ten Commandments were, were principles to live a free life. Like, thou shalt not kill doesn't mean you don't, you don't put down, you lift up. You're not stealing, you don't take, because God is your source, give it away. This is how you live a free life. What if I make a mistake? What if you are going to make a mistake? You are, 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 Okay? Of course you're going to make a mistake. Oh, 
Well, then I'm out. God won't take me. Are you kidding me? That's what it used to turn back, say, man, good try. Let's go. You know what I mean? Seriously. <laughs> I know we got to live our lives. We have decades ahead. Why are we going to do this halfway? Sure, we got to live. We got to live. We get to live here. We get to. We get to. We get to be here. But let's live with all that we got. Start in those little turns every day where we are. How are your practices going? What has God called you to do that you haven't finished doing yet? What has he persuaded your heart about? Where are you expanding in your faith? Where is he challenging you? Come on, all these questions. This is so amazing fun. You do this five days, six days, come back here on the seventh day, You'd be sucking the carpet in worship. You'd be going crazy, making the altar out of your chair. Seriously, right? <laughs> Seriously. It is so wonderful, a life that we have. Is he worth it? Oh. Man. Stand up. Please. <laughs> Stand up. Brace yourself. <laughs> Sounds like he's talking to Job. <laughs> Can you imagine that whole conversation? Oh, my gosh. What are some indicators that you're on the right track? Come on. You have no idea what's at stake. None of us do. Your own soul's at stake. Your marriages, our families, what we hand down to generations, which this is a faith that's way bigger than one generation. What's at stake? the lives of people who don't know God just like you didn't know him at one time and now do. Oh. Three things be worth thinking about just to leave you with this. If you're doing this, you know, is your life in some form glorifying God? Good question. If people spend time with you in some point, they're going to ask, you have some type of something on you. Do you have faith or some type of love, something on you. You're determined somehow. But it doesn't seem to be about you. Why? That's glorifying God. Caring for others at the point of sacrificing yourself. That's all right. Nothing wrong with that. That's what we're about. Are you bearing fruit? Second question. Fruit. What do you mean, John? Am I getting to be a better person? Yeah, kind of. Like the fruit of the, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, self-control. Are you blossoming in any of those areas, any one of them? It's real fruit. It's real character. Yeah. Are you growing in that? If you are using a situation you're not really comfortable in, that's right. Welcome. The big room, we're all in there. A lot of side rooms. I'm in the remedial class a lot. So. That's why God called me in the ministry, because I knew outside maybe I couldn't make it. <laughs> John, you just need to hang around. It'll be better for you. <laughs> Lastly, are you involved in the work of God? 
In some way, are you involved in the work of God? That doesn't mean you have to be a full-time ministry. I mean, or, or even, I mean, we'd love you to help around here, but that's not some manipulation to get you to do that. There's so many places. But if you're just attending, are you in a prayer life, your own prayer? Are you given to prayer, the work of God? Are you, are you helping some other folks? Are you part of a group that encourages one another in business? Are you... I mean, that's why we bring up things like Crin and stuff like that, because you have a place to apply your faith to be encouraged, to be involved in the work of God. When you get involved, you invest your life, something changes in you. It's not an elective now. It's not something I just help with or, I mean, I just give to, which is I'm happy about giving, really. It's a gift. It's one of the main gifts, and trust me, I like it so a lot. But are you involved in the work of God? That'll change you. some thinking. This place could change the world. If all the churches pulled together, living vital lives, hardly perfect, but intentional and pursuing, genuine and honest, wow. Into your, our lives, we could embrace people and change the world. That's what we're going to do. We're doing it. I'm in. I'm all in. How about you? <laughs> all right, let's take a moment. Just bow our heads. Just take a second. Father, come. We're crazy about you. We love you. We're already stepped into being radicalized by being at this house, this place, this time. The earmarks of vital worship and genuine life are within us and all around us. For parts of our life, we have become, we have stepped back from, we haven't attended to. We want our inside life to be vital and real, and our outside life to reflect it. The days ahead, people's lives count on this. My life counts on this. Holy Spirit, we ask you to sit into our homes, set yourself in our homes, into our personal life, into our consciences, and have your way. Drag us, implore us, beseech us, strengthen us, guide us. Don't stop talking. Help us reach for the tools you've given us, the word, fellowship, worship, time with you. Thank you. Thank you for the world you've assigned us to, this place, this time, the work we have, the families we have, the friends we have all those within our reach, within our sphere, thank you. We have faith. We believe you've placed us here, not by accident. You've taken into account all of our failures, but also are counting on all of our triumphs. You can see them. We cry out for character. We cry out for courage. We cry out for faith, a faith that we risk our life on. God, we pray this inch by inch, day by day, 
We believe in you and your kingdom. We ask all this by the blood and power and life of Jesus, your son. Can you say amen? Tell somebody, man, you look better, wow, than when you came in here. <laughs> look, we um, love to open up the, the front here in points of prayer, not just for healing in your body, but absolutely for healing in your body, but points of faith. Like, man, I need to just have a point of faith or someone prays for me. Believe you and trust you, God. Something that doesn't mean to do that, it takes, it's strong. So we bless that. All right? Let me bless you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. That's a miracle in itself, amen? Let's just go for six days, get back here and before you fall again, all right? So, present you blameless before the Father. Another miracle. Amazing. Thank you so much. We bless you. Let him keep you and hold on to you drive you and lead you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Go have a great Sunday, June. All right? Bless you. Thank you.